Hello, my name is Duncan and you are most welcome to another Q&A episode of my Unorthodoxy podcast. The third question in this Q&A series that I'm going to answer is from Charissa and here goes with slight paraphrasing from me. Hello Duncan, so I'm currently listening to your Jungian typology series and I know you consider these to be a detour from what you typically do on your podcast, but my question has to do with the fact that I have a really hard time distinguishing whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. Then, I was wondering how one's Enneagram number might impact one's MBTI, if any of the Jungian cognitive functions would look different depending on one's Enneagram type. Before I get to answering this, I thought I'd offer a quick brief thought on the significance of typologies in this age of ours. Typology systems are clearly not perfect, as I've said before, so what's the deal with the fact that entire communities have been created around typologies? I think this is somewhat answered in a fantastic essay by Richard Weaver called Individuality and Modernity, which was first published in 1958. There Weaver points out that as soon as something begins to disappear, signs are put up to proclaim its virtues. Well, perhaps ironically, in an age of social media where everything seems to be about the individual and certainly about identity, personality itself is under threat. Platforms erase identity, and even identity politics seems to me to be the clearest sign that identity no longer matters. It's not about who anyone is as a person with a personality, but is about which tribal designation one must slot into. We live in an era where free speech is under attack, and there are huge pressures to conform to specific ideological coordinates. So it is worth trying to understand this thing called personality, especially as Weaver points out, because it points to the unique perspective on the good that God has given to each of us. I maintain that typologies can help in this, even if they are incomplete and imperfect in some ways. Personality is this beautiful and mysterious thing, and it is, in the end, not just about individuals and their types, but the way we work together to share our gifts. So, with that tiny thought on the issue out there in the open, basically there are two things we get to explore in this episode. First, I want to clarify the difference between extroversion and introversion. Second, we're going to look at how cognitive functions look depending on your enneotype. So, let's get going with the question of what is the difference between extroversion and introversion. When you read Carl Jung's book, Psychological Types, you will find that he pours a lot of energy into distinguishing between extroversion and introversion. This is significant because it seems that in the beginning, Jung really thought that this distinction was at the heart of personality. The trouble we tend to have with distinguishing between introversion and extroversion has to do largely, as far as I can tell, with the way that the idea has been taken up in popular culture. There are lots of stereotypes, and some of these tell only really part of the story, but not the whole story. Very quiet, shy people often look like introverts because they are introverts and loud, outgoing people look like extroverts because they are extroverts. Socialization in general tends to correct certain more introverted characteristics too. But that said, 
most people seem to fall somewhere in the middle of the spectrum, giving rise to the idea of an ambivert. I have said that in a sense all of us are ambiverted since all of us have both extroverted and introverted cognitive functions. However, Jung's system, which I believe is correct, suggests that either introversion or extroversion will predominate. What's going to help us here is a very clear definition of what Jung meant when he talked about these two things, extroversion and introversion. Jung was interested in introversion and extroversion as attitudes, that is, as directions of energy and attention. What is important here is that introversion and extroversion are not conscious choices but are automatic adaptations. Jung suggests that these are most evident in small children, and I would say that it is most evident in how you can see small children turning towards the world or turning within. Some children will watch the world and check themselves against the world, and other kids will watch the world and check the world against themselves. So, introversion is more reflective and extroversion is more active. But this is not yet as accurate as it needs to be. Still, I would say that exploring childhood patterns, and this applies to the Enneagram too, does help to highlight where your defaulting happens. So, that's crucial in, in the way that Jung framed these two things, is that it was about how we default. When they are young, introverts tend to be most interested in discovering what it is they have to offer the world. Extroverts, on the other hand, would be looking more at what the world has to offer them. For Jung, the introvert's attitude is always an abstracting one which is to say that it treats the objective world in a way that tries to prevent it from gaining too much power or control over the introvert. For the introvert, objects, that is real-world things like people or materials or nature and so on, should not be given too much power. What is most valuable is what is going on inside people. Introverts do not want to get lost in the world, whereas extroverts are often happiest when they get caught up in external affairs. Extroverts are less cautious on the whole, less interested in conserving energy. In contrast with the introvert, the extrovert tends to have a more positive and affirmative relationship with the objective world, which means that the extrovert's subjective attitude is constantly related to and orientated by what is objective. Objective meaning more or less what is out there in the real world. As far as the extrovert is concerned, the object can't ever have too much value. In some ways, its value must be increased. If that doesn't clear it up, let's look at it this way instead. The introvert has a tendency to want to defend his or herself from the world, to conserve energy by withdrawing from the world. The extrovert might want to have downtime and alone time, for example, to recover from the external world's demands, but the predominant posture is not preemptive when it comes to conserving energy. This is probably one of the ways that even extroverts might be confused into believing that they are introverts. They also need quiet time or downtime, for example, but their dominant mode of attention is still going to be on what is going on out there in the world. 
another way of looking at this is to see introverts as strangers in the world and extroverts as more at home in it. Spontaneous engagement with the unfamiliar is not something that introverts are going to, in general, be very good at. William Blake describes two kinds of people, prolific and devouring. Well, prolific people are the extroverts. The devouring ones are the introverts. So briefly, introversion prioritizes the self, inner subjective experience, and the I over the external world, the objective and the collective. Note that some very real-world things are not people, of course, so some extroverts might be interested in the mechanics of cars or focused on bodybuilding or art objects or musical performance, for example, and maybe such people are not going to be people people, and so they might not even read as extroverts, but the direction of their attention is still focused predominantly on the real world, that is, the world outside them. In this way, and perhaps this can be confusing, an INFJ, so definitely an introvert like me, might be more talkative than an ESTP, although it is more likely that you will see the ESTP at a large gathering of people than that you will see me there. So in summary, introverts regard the inner world as more important and more real than the external world. They get and preserve energy through alone time. They tend to be self-protective and more closed to new real-world experiences, although not necessarily new ideas, and they tend to think before they leap. Extroverts, on the other hand, regard the external world as more important and real than the inner world. The external world serves the inner world, you might say. They get energy through interacting with real-world things, whether things or people, they are less reluctant to engage with new real-world experiences, and experience tends to precede reflection. I really hope that clarifies the difference. What is perhaps confusing is that all of us are in some sense ambiverts, and as we get older the difference tends to get less pronounced. But I do think that either introversion or extroversion will nevertheless dominate. Bringing this back to theology, you may be interested to note that our direction of attention can and probably does affect the way we view God. Jung himself speculates that introverts will tend to be more comfortable with a consistent, immutable God, where extroverts are likely to have a sense that God is changing in some or another way. I don't think that this can be stated with any kind of absolute certainty, however, since I know introverts who are process theists and extroverts who are classical theists, but it does help to consider how our natural defaults may be leading us into a particular way of believing. So now on to the second question. What is the interaction between the Enneagram and the MBTI or Jungian typology like specifically regarding cognitive functions? The short answer is that cognitive functions do look slightly different depending on any type at the level of content, although I would say that the form of the cognitive function remains largely the same. The best way to see this is to learn from those around you and even from YouTube chats how this actually works. But as for what the precise interaction is, I have yet to figure out a shorthand way of explaining this. The best I can do here is offer a reminder that cognitive functions are like general outlines of cognition, where the Enneagram energy, say, of each person will then color in those outlines slightly differently. 
And then, of course, the specific uniqueness of every person will then add patterning to those outlines that is specific to them and their unique gifts. Obviously, because these typologies are aiming at different things, my general approach is still to keep them quite separate, especially since there is no real way to predict any type from the Jungian model or vice versa. But I can mention something to clarify the introversion-extroversion difference. We tend, if we are paying attention, to want others to babysit our demons, those parts of ourselves that we disavow or neglect or overlook. This same principle applies to both the Enneagram and to Jungian typology. Each Enneotype needs to integrate to a specific opposite type, or at least they need to learn lessons from it. And each Jungian or MBTI type needs to do the same. That is, they need to learn from the opposite type. The thing that needs to be integrated has to do with where our attention is. And in a huge number of cases, this is an issue of external or internal focus. This gets tricky, though, because people are complex. And that's sometimes why it's so difficult to even explain how these models can be useful. But it's still worth paying close attention, especially to those parts of ourselves and our lives that we try to push onto others or wait for others to deal with or just in general want to procrastinate doing ourselves. Remember that cognitive functions focus on specific areas of concern in terms of learning and deciding. So this will be somewhat noticeable in how an enneotype might approach the world from that point of view. I know that is a very brief answer and it doesn't go into much detail, but I hope it is somewhat helpful. So there you have two answers to two questions. I hope that is helpful to you, Charissa. And until next time, take care, everyone.